0: Welcome to Genesis. We are... Uh, so glad that you guys are here tonight. We're currently in a series that is taking us through the book of James, and uh, we wanted this series to be to be pretty uh, interactive, right? So we wanted this series to be a bit interactive because we can't get through every single verse this month. But we wanted to encourage you to to read through James uh, throughout the week. So hopefully you're able to to read some of chapter one this week uh, because last week Kevin took us through most of chapter one and he spoke about trials and he talked about how we should say yes to hassles and and yes to t- test because that's what produces character inside of us. Hopefully you guys remember that. So tonight we're going to be talking through chapter two, which is a chapter that is very near and dear to my heart. And the main theme of this section of scripture is the fact that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Just like a zebra without his stripes, a Dalmatian without his spots, Superman without his cape, Ross without Rachel Star Wars without a Jedi Knight. If you take that one thing away, it's just not the same. The same goes with faith without works. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I would encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter two. And while you're turning there, it's good to know that the the book of James is mostly uh, believed to have been written by James, the half brother of Jesus, not the disciple of the same name. Uh, It's also believed to be the first New Testament book written. Uh, And it was also written during a time that was known as the dispersion, which was uh, basically a time where Christians were scattered all throughout the Roman empire, likely on the run for their lives. And you can actually see this in the first few verses of chapter one, where James says, I'm writing to you the 12 tribes of the dispersion. And so he's writing to a group of persecuted Christians. And actually the other day I was reading an article where uh, the the present day, so right now, is actually the worst time of Christian persecution in history. That hundreds of thousands of Christians are getting persecuted every single day, and uh, because of ISIS and, and in places like North Korea, and and so, just in case you thought that the the idea of Christian persecution was a bit antiquated, it's not. And so if you want to think about it today, it's like, the, it's like a present day dispersion, right? So James was writing to a group of persecuted, persecuted Christians then, but he's still writing to a group of persecuted Christians now. And so it's just as relevant today as it was then. And so overall, the book, of, the book of James is a five chapter long challenge for God's people to act like God's people. And so hopefully you are in James chapter two. We're going to start reading in verse 14, and I'm going to read until the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back and, and break it down from there. So if you want to follow along with me, it'll be on the screen, but this is James two fourteen through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead." So this, uh, this section of scripture, within this section of scripture, we are presented with an idea that is a little tough to grasp. And, and I hope to make some sense of it for you tonight. And it's this idea right here, that your works do not save you. Your works do not save you, but they do matter. So your works do not save you, but they do matter. And I want you to look at it this way. I'm sure you've been staring at this wheelchair up here, right? Right? You want to just in case I like start to like feel a little woozy, I can have a wheelchair. No, that's not what it's for. So I want you to think about it this way. If salvation was a wheelchair, the seat is a whole lot like grace, right? So we sit in this wheelchair and we are carried and we are supported by grace, right? That's what supports us. And these wheels right here are a whole lot like faith, that faith gives us the potential to move. And in the, in this analogy, you think, well, where do we come into play? Well, if grace is the seat and faith is the wheels, we're nothing but the cripple that gets to sit inside. There's an old quote that says, when it comes to salvation, the only thing we contribute is the sin that makes it necessary. And so if we, wheelchairs wouldn't exist if, if there were not people who were unable to walk. Salvation would not be necessary if there were people who did not sin. And so in this, in this analogy, we are the cripple sitting in the seat of grace and have the potential to move forward because of faith. So your works do not save you, but they do matter. And so that, with that, that illustration, that brings up the question that I hope to answer tonight. And it's this, that if our works don't save us, if our works don't save us, but they do matter, then what role do our works play? By the, tonight, uh, by the end of this night, hopefully we'll have an answer to that question. So I'm gonna read to you again, James 2, 14 through 17, and we're gonna talk about this, okay? So James 2, 14 through 17 says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, So like we said, works do not lead to salvation, right? In fact, it's the other way around. Salvation leads to works. Therefore, your works are not the foundation of your salvation, but they are instead the evidence of your salvation, the evidence of your salvation. And often, if there is no evidence of something, you have to start to question if that thing exists in the first place. So James is telling us here that if there is no evidence of salvation in your life, your faith is dead, If there is is no evidence of salvation in your life, your faith is dead. It is of no use to the kingdom. And here's the truth for you tonight that if a, a faith that is dead, a faith that is dead is a faith that is decomposing. And a faith that is decomposing continues to rot and rot until it's no longer there. And for some of us in here tonight, the vultures are starting to gather. A faith that is dead is a faith that decomposes. And so it's important to remember tonight that you represent Christ in every area of your life. That if you openly claim Christ, if you openly claim to be a Christian, that means you automatically start to represent Christ. If you openly claim Christ, you openly represent Christ. Hopefully that's a good thing. That I, I always had a person tell me when I was younger that when it came to being a Christian, that it was more about, it was all about the name on the front, not about the name on the back, in other words, I lived for Christ, not for Woodard. It was no longer I who lived, but Christ who lived in me. It was about the name on the front, not the name on the back. And so with, with, with this comes a lifestyle of striving to be like Christ. And, when it came to, and honestly, when it came to, to Christ making the way for salvation, he didn't just, like the, the scripture said, yeah, go well. Good luck out there. World's crazy, man. God is good. Hopefully you'll figure it out how to get to heaven. No, he didn't do that. He came to earth and he got his hands dirty. He went to the cross. He defeated death. He was not all talk. And believe me, we got a lot of Christians nowadays that are all talk. They may, we have so many people with, with this faith inside of them, but their faith is being suffocated by pride, and it's being suffocated by fear, and it's being suffocated by laziness. We have Christians that are all talk. Their faith may be there, but it's dead. There is no life coming from it. And becoming like Christ is a, is a process that is spurred on by the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times it gets referred to as sanctification. And, and we see this in a lot of places in scripture, right? So Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's, it's a process of activating your faith and making it evident in your life that starts to show these evidences of salvation. In verse 17, uh, where it says that uh, that faith without works is dead, in verse 17, that's that's a special verse to me because that was actually one of the two verses that, that led me to give my life to Christ when I was in high school. And it, it was one of those verses that I read and, and it was like, yeah, I believed in God and, and I I guess I had faith, but as we'll see later, that, that wasn't good enough. Just having a faith in God isn't good enough, which sounds crazy and we'll get there. But I read that verse and I was like, man, I have faith, but it's not doing anything. It's dead. And so, Tonight, if you say you are saved, if you claim Christ like we talked about, if you say you are saved and you act as if you are not, you should start to question your relationship with God. If you say you are saved and you act as if you are not, you should start to question your relationship with God. Am I living a lifestyle that is pleasing to God? Am I allowing the Spirit to work on me? Am I moving towards the likeness of Christ? Those are the outward displays of salvation that if missing, James says, well, that might mean that your faith is dead. It might mean that your faith is dead. It's present, but it's not doing anything. It's idle. It's out of gas. It's stagnant. It's dead. Let's keep reading. So we're going to read through uh, verse 18 through 26. Well, Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she, re- when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So this, this, this section of, of scripture right here brings me to something I, I feel is important to, to, to share as a side note tonight, uh, to, to share about reading the Bible. And context, context is crucial. When you are reading scripture and you got, you guys probably know that context is crucial that if you, if you take a phrase out of context, you can make it say literally anything you want. Right? So, and this is, this is actually a funny story. Uh, when, when, uh, I was in middle school, I didn't go to church a ton when I was in middle school, but when I was in middle school, Kevin was actually the middle school pastor when he lived here before. And I remember he started a message one time. that he said, did you know it says in the Bible that there is no God? And, you know, we're like in middle school, like, what? Did he just say that? Like, are you, you sure this is our pastor? You know what I mean? And he goes, well, it's actually, it does say that, but the line above it says, the foolish man says. And it, it was, you know, it's, it's a great example, and it's always stuck with me, and it's been years since then. It's actually Psalms 14.1, if you ever want to go read that. But anyway, and so so when it comes to Scripture, in the same way, if you were to remove James 2.24 out of uh, out of this, this chunk of Scripture here, it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. If you were to take that out, that seemingly looks contradictory, right? Like, wait, I thought I was saved by grace through faith. What does it mean that I'm justified by works and faith? That doesn't sound right. And, we, and, and the thing with that is you have to, when you read something like that, you know that the Bible is inerrant. You know it's infallible. You know it doesn't contradict itself. And so with that in mind, anytime you come across a scripture like that, anytime you come across a line of scripture that seems a little off, what you should do is compare it against the rest of scripture. And if, you, and if weighed against the bulk of scripture, if, it, if the bulk of scripture, that's what you should believe. And if the bulk of scripture contradicts that tiny little verse, you're probably reading that verse wrong. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's move on. So he continues by saying, and we'll get there, we'll explain that verse. So he continues by saying, look, if someone says you have faith and I have works, he wants to be able to say, hey, I'll show you my faith by my works. And this is similar to a verse in 1 John that we've talked about before, where in 1 John, he talks about how our love for one another makes the invisible God visible. Just like when you take paint and pour it over the invisible man and you can see the outline of him, it's the same way, right? So our works make our invisible faith visible. So our works make our invisible faith visible. And it's almost like he sets up this situation where Two people are put side by side and and uh, and their their faith and their actions are compared with one another right and and I'm sure you know people who who claim to be a Christian and if they were put next to an unbeliever, there would be essentially no difference in the two and I don't know if you've been there before i've been there before in my own life where if I was put next to an unbeliever, then you would see no difference. So I don't know if you've been there, but we probably know people that if you were, if you were to compare them to someone who didn't claim Christ, there you see no difference. And in those situations, I fall back on a phrase that I say a lot, like, I'm glad I'm not the judge. Like, I'm glad I'm not the judge of your heart because, man, I, I have no idea what's going on inside of you. But when it comes to seeing outward evidence of your salvation, there's nothing. There's nothing there. There's no evidence of salvation in your life. And I can't say that you're not saved. I would never say that you're not saved, but it could be that your faith is just dead and needs to be brought back to life. And then he goes on by saying in in verse 19, listen, hey, cool, you believe in God. Well, guess what? Even the demons believe that. Even the demons believe that. That doesn't mean anything. And just like, that's what I meant earlier when I said when when I was younger, just believing in God sometimes isn't good enough. Just believing that a God exists somewhere out in the cosmos, that's not going to lead to life change. That's not going to lead to anything in your life. What's going to lead to life change is, is, is a belief in not only God, but in the fact that he sent his son to come to earth to live a perfect life, to, to be the, the perfect sacrifice for us, and then to resurrect again to, to make a way for us to have a relationship with him. He's not just a God that exists out there. He's a God that makes, made a sacrifice for us and it loves us and cares for us. And when that truth begins to, to sink in into your life, you start to see some evidence of salvation. When you really start to live your life in response to the gospel, you'll see your faith come alive. And so you need to know tonight, and I hope I've made it perfectly clear that if you have put your faith in Christ, you are saved completely. And you can take that to the bank. But now James is just telling us and challenging us, we need to start living like it. We gotta start living like it. We need to start being of use to the kingdom. And then he proceeds to use these two examples, two Old Testament examples of Abraham and Rahab. And and really quick, if you don't know the the story of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac was the son of Abraham who Abraham waited a long time for, and he loved Isaac dearly. And one time God said, hey, Abraham, I need you to go sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham was obedient, and he had faith in God, and he trusted God. And so he took Isaac up the mountain, and right as he was about to kill him, God stopped. God stopped him. And then Rahab, she was a, a prostitute in the city of Jericho and the Israelites were about to go take the city and so they, they sent a couple spies in to the city and they were about to get caught and Rahab actually helped them escape safely. And so they said, hey, listen, when we come take this city, we're gonna make sure you stay safe. And so sure enough, all that happens. They take the city, they keep her safe and she ended up in the bloodline of Jesus. And so their faith was completed by their works of righteousness. Just like the scripture said, they had faith that it was completed by their works of righteousness. So with that said, do you remember what our question was at the beginning of the message? If our works don't save us, but they do matter, then what role do they play? Well, using the scripture we read tonight, here's, here's, a, here's a way that I can explain it. So my parents, my parents had a, a friend years ago. My parents had a friend years ago who uh, was a great, uh, great friend. He was fun to be around. They they would travel together. They went to football games together. They were close friends. He was a great guy. Well, he was also known to be a pretty heavy drinker. He was known to be a pretty heavy drinker. And uh, one particular day, he had had a lot to drink. And him and his girlfriend, who had also had a good bit to drink, they got into their their uh, Volkswagen Jetta convertible and started driving down the back roads of Ravenel, South Carolina. And I don't know if you've ever been in Ravenel, South Carolina, but it's country roads, it's back roads. And they were uh, driving down these windy roads and he was drunk and he ended up crashing the Volkswagen Jetta convertible. And the girlfriend flew out of the car into a tree and was killed instantly. His legs were crushed And because they were on these back roads, they had to wait for someone to drive by to call 911. And eventually that happened. And they got him out of the car. And he found out that because of the accident, that he would be paralyzed from the waist down. And he would be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And... There must have been some sort of come to Jesus moment for him. Because he got in this wheelchair and I'm sure there was so many thoughts running through his mind. I'm never going to walk again. I've killed my girlfriend. I'm now he actually ended up in in legal trouble because the the parents of the girlfriend charged him with vehicular manslaughter. And so he's in all these terrible circumstances. He'll never walk again. And he must have had this, this, this thought must have crossed his mind. By the grace of God, I can't sit here in my mess and sit here in my circumstances and wallow in my decisions because by the grace of God, my hands still work. My hands still work. That thought must have crossed his mind and I know it crossed his mind because ever since then, all right, right after that accident, he went and bought a van and he got this van specially made, and he actually taught himself how to drive the van with these poles. To, to, you've probably seen them before, right? So you elevate into the van, and he used these poles to, to, uh, to press the pedals and to steer the, steer the van. And he actually started traveling around to different schools, and he started speaking to students and being an advocate against drunk driving. And then, I don't know at what point, but he actually started racing wheelchairs, and he got really good at it. And he won all of, these, all of these wheelchair races. And so he's like, by the grace of God, I got nothing. But you know what? My hands still work. And so salvation is a wheelchair. If we're sitting in the seat of grace, if we're carried and sustained by grace, and we've got these wheels of faith that have the potential to move us forward, then what role do our works play? Our works are what move our faith forward. By the grace of God, our hands still work. By the grace of God, our hands still work. And he didn't save us to stay stay still and to stay stuck and stay crippled. Our hands still work. He wants us to get our hands dirty, just like Christ did when he came to earth to make a way for us. He didn't just say, hey, good luck. No, he got his hands dirty. His hands still worked. He made a way for us. And here's the thing. These wheels, they only have the potential to move. They need someone pushing it. They need someone moving. They need someone adding momentum and adding energy and adding some strength to it. That's what our works do. Yeah, we're the cripple. Yeah, we got saved and we didn't earn our salvation. Our works didn't do that for us. But you know what? Our works move our faith forward. God gave us our hands to get dirty, He gave us our hands to get moving, He gave us our hands to go out and make a difference. In, in, in the world for, for, for his name and to do things in his name to share the gospel with people. Our hands still work and our, and our works are what move our faith forward. Does that make sense? Our works are what move our faith forward. Abraham had faith and his works moved his faith to do amazing things. Rahab had faith and her, her works moved her to do amazing things. If your faith isn't moving you, it's probably because you're stuck. It's probably because your faith is dead. And the good works that God has prepared for you are what you need to get unstuck. It's what you need to get moving forward. So no, your works do not save you, but they take what is idle. They take what is stagnant. They take what is crippled and what is immobile. And they give it life. They give it motion. They give it meaning. That's the role that our works play in our faith. I'm gonna end with a few table talk questions for you tonight. And hopefully this sparks some good conversation because I know, I know good and well, it says in scripture that God has prepared good works for you. And there are good works to be done. And we all have, are in different, different lives, different realities, different contexts. And we've all got good works prepared for us in our lives. And I believe that that's what we need to get our faith moving. Because faith without works is dead. Here are the questions for you tonight. Is there evidence of salvation in your life? That's the first question. Is there evidence of salvation in your life? Question number two, what are some good works that you believe God has prepared you for? Question number three, given your current place in life, how can you be of best use to the kingdom of God? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for this this opportunity to come here tonight. Read from James 2 and And hear a word that is relevant to us as much today as it was when it was written. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, God, for revealing that truth to us. That faith without works is dead. God, you didn't save us to be still. You didn't save us to stay put, but you saved us for good works. And you saved us to get our faith moving. God, we thank you for saving us and putting us in that wheelchair of salvation. God, we are so unworthy of it, but God, you chose to love us anyway. God, we thank you for the sacrifice your son made on the cross. And I pray over Genesis right now. And I pray over all the, the different lives and the different places that all of us go every single day. God, I know that you've prepared good works for us there. So God, I pray that we would start to reach out, that we would start to move forward with our faith. And God, that we wouldn't be still any longer. God, we know that sometimes our faith can feel dead, but God, it's the good works that you've prepared for us that bring our faith back to life. God, we trust you. We thank you for what you've put into our lives, the opportunities you've given us, we pray, God, over these conversations we're about to have. In Jesus' name, amen. Really quick before you guys do that, uh, like we talked about at the beginning, this is supposed to be a little interactive. And so we are, we're actually gonna go through chapter four and five next week uh, for the final week of this series. So we wanna encourage you guys to read through chapter three this week on your own. And so we love for you guys, if, if you, have, you know reach out, you have us on social media or text somebody or you have a small group, read through chapter three, and discuss it with somebody, and uh, I promise it'll be worth it.